Well, guys, the coronavirus first surfaced uh, in a seafood and poultry market in Wuhan, China, in late December of 2019. And by the spring of 2020, it had already touched every corner of the globe. By March, if you remember, the U.S. government had announced restriction of travel from Europe to the U.S. for 30 days in an attempt that they might slow the spread of the virus. A few days later, if you'll remember, the President of the United States would declare a national state of emergency. And by the end of March, the Senate would agree on a $2 trillion stimulus package for Americans. Most of our plans, you know, it's true for me and I'm sure it's true for most of you, most of our plans for 2020 would look vastly different than we could have ever began to imagine. And the feelings of loss would, the feelings of loss would be very, very real in our lives. Now, as I've shared in previous messages, I do not believe that God caused the pandemic. I don't believe that. But I do believe that God took advantage of it and used it to speak into our lives, to speak into um, our nation. I think he used it, first of all, to get our attention, hopefully, to open up spiritual eyes. For instance, uh, with people that were confined to their homes uh, because church services were canceled and all went online, and then there were so many people that were feeling anxious about the pandemic and were in their homes, there were so many people who attended church online that had never attended church before. During this time, literally, I know we saw hundreds of people step across the line of faith and invite Jesus Christ into their life. I think we sent out uh, books to almost 700 people that prayed with us to receive Christ. So across the country, there were literally tens of thousands of people that found Christ during this time period. But I also think that God used this time to expose a few idols in our lives. For instance, I'm just talking about the very beginning of the pandemic. In the first 30 days, we saw a lot of America's idols stripped away. Many of them we don't even think about as idols until they're pointed out. Uh, for instance, the idol of independence. It felt like overnight all of our personal freedoms to go where we wanted, when we wanted, and do what we wanted were all restricted, weren't they? It felt like they were all ripped away from us. The idol of academics, schools and universities across America immediately shut their doors to classroom attendance. The idol of money, the economy tanked as businesses barely survived, many of them did not survive and were forced to shut down. In the last, in the very first month of the pandemic, the stock market dropped 35%. Then there's the idol of sports. Nearly every major sporting event in the United States was suspended or canceled, including, if you'll remember, the 2020 Olympics. Then there's also the idol of travel. Leisure and short-term vacation plans were almost non-existent during this time. I had, I personally had three trips that were planned that were all canceled. The idol of entertainment. Hollywood stopped filming, Broadway shut down, movie, theater, movie theaters were shuttered, Disney World and other theme parks all closed, restaurants and bars were reduced to carry out only. Guys, literally the entire entertainment world came screeching to a halt. Then there's the idol of politics. 2020, if you recall, I don't know how we could ever forget, 2020 was an election year, and many states postponed primaries. 
and campaign rallies actually from both parties were canceled. And then guys, let's, let's not forget the idol of religion. Churches across America closed their doors and instead streamed their services online. And there's also the idol of science. In the first few weeks, modern medicine could not find an antidote to fight against the virus. And they were unsure, actually, in those first weeks and that first month, they were unsure how to actually help dying patients. Now, please understand what I'm saying. I could go on and on, actually, with um, these idols in our world that were interrupted during the pandemic. But please understand what I'm trying to say to you. There's nothing really inherently wrong with any of these things that I've just mentioned. And yet, while they often garner our affection or our enjoyment, we need to be reminded that they cannot listen. They cannot meet the needs of our destitute heart. Jesus said to us very simply in Matthew chapter 6, the 33rd verse, he said, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. In other words, if you make him the priority of your life, if you put Jesus Christ first in your life and you live for him, he will give you everything you need. All of your needs will be taken care of. Well, guys, as you know, we're in a five-week series called Creatures of Habit that's based on my new book by the same title. Experts tell us, I talked about this the last couple of weeks, but experts or psychologists or even neurologists have done studies and tell us that over 40% of everything we do during a day is done out of habit. It's almost half. 40% of everything we do during a day is done out of habit, and yet I think most people today underestimate the power of habits in our life. Good habits, of course, are to help us what? You know, we, we can't tell the difference between a good or bad habit. Our brain can't tell the difference between a good or bad habit. Therefore, we've got to make the determination. Is this good for me or is this bad for me? Good habits help us to do what? Good habits are what help us to be Christ-like, to take on the nature of Christ. And so what we need, the good habits that we need are also called spiritual disciplines in our life. They're, they're stepping stones. They help us to grow bad habits conflict. Those are the ones that conflict with our identity in Christ. Those are the ones, here we are trying to grow in the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, and so whatever habit in your life fights against that or conflicts with that would be a bad habit. We also call those in Scripture spiritual, spiritual strongholds. They, they get a grip on our life. They're also, uh, could be, it could, we could also include addictions. We could also include idols. Basically, bad habits are addictions, bad habits are idols in our life. In the book, I've listed 12 bad habits. Those are, I came up with these because these are habits that I personally have struggled with, some more than others, but there are 12 bad habits. One of those is idolatry, and that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk about idolatry. Idolatry, please hear me on this. This is where it gets confusing because some people would say, I don't, I, I don't think of idolatry as being a habit, but the reality, the reality of it is, idolatry is a heart issue, but when we repeat it enough times, it becomes second nature. So even though it's a heart issue, it actually becomes a bad habit in our life. 
Now we also, we usually don't think about idols in the 21st century, where it's like, you know, when you're talking about idolatry, Steve, that's something back in the Old Testament times, that's something back in the first century, it certainly doesn't uh, apply to us today. But I would disagree. I, I believe that idolatry is actually a serious problem in the world that we're living today. Tim Keller, author and pastor, just incredible guy, but Tim Keller defines idolatry in this way. He says, idolatry is, I love this definition, idolatry is anything more important to you than God. I could stop right there. Idolatry is anything more important to you than God. Anything, I love this next one, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give to give you what only God can give. Now that is just such an incredible definition of an idol, a description of an idol. Anything that absorbs, grabs a hold of your heart and imagination more than God. Paul describes idolatry in Romans chapter one when he says they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created. There it is right there. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator. So an idol is anything that pulls your attention away from the creator onto things, onto people, to stuff. So just as it said, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise, amen. Instead of loving God with all of our hearts, we find ourselves loving material things and our affections are all out of sync. They're all out of order. Biblically, biblically we call those things idols, but psychologically they are addictions or habits. So an idol is an addiction or a bad habit that you formed in your life. Paul also addresses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, you know the way you lived before you were believers. You let yourselves be influenced and led away to worship idols. He says, before you were Christians, rather than having God first in your life, you allowed yourself to be influenced and led away to worship idols, things that could not speak. If you ignore this habit, not only will it hurt your relationship with God, whatever this bad habit is, but we're talking specifically about uh, idolatry, and if you ignore this in your life, listen, it's gonna hurt your relationship with God, but it'll also, listen, it'll also begin to consume your time, your money, your energy, your affection, and your thought life. Idolatry is a major theme in scripture, and it is just as applicable today, if not more so, than it's ever been before. More than 50 of the laws in the, in the first five books of the Bible are aimed at idolatry. So if idolatry, guys, is considered to be such a big problem in scripture, don't you think it should be something we pay attention to? Don't you think it should be something that we deal with in our life? There's a lot of references, but one that immediately comes to mind. In other words, I could talk, I, I could do a series on just the different examples of idolatry in scripture. But the one that I think immediately comes to my mind and probably comes to your mind as well is Moses when he came off the mountain with the 10 commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Now, there were 10 commandments, think about this. There were 10 commandments, and so God gives Moses the 10 command commandments and says, I want my people to live under these 10 laws. But I want you to listen, guys, to the very first three. The very first three. You shall have no other gods before me. 
You shall make no idols. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. He didn't give us these three commandments because he wants to be the first among many gods. He gave us these commandments. Guys, please hear me on this. He gave us these commandments because he wants to be the only God in our life. He wants us to put him first. He wants us to give him our best and give him first place in our lives. God created us to be in relationship with him and with him alone. I love the way Kyle Eidelman says it in his book. It's a great book. If you've not read it, I'd recommend it, called Gods at War. Listen to this paragraph that I found out of there. He says, he writes, God declines to sit atop an organizational flowchart. He is the organization. He is not interested in being president of the board. He is the board. And life doesn't work until everyone else sitting around the table in the boardroom of your heart is fired. He is God, and there are no other applicants for that position. There are no partial gods, no honorary gods, no interim gods, no assistance to the regional gods. God is saying this not... God is saying this not because he is insecure, but because it's the way of truth in this universe, which is his creation. Only one God owns and operates it. Only one God designed it, and only one God knows how it works. He is the only God who can help us, direct us, satisfy us, and save us. God created us to worship him and him alone. The whole point, again, is that we can't have any other gods in our life. And that's what idolatry, guys listen, that's what idolatry is all about. While God was giving Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, the people waiting below, you remember the story, the people waiting below were making a golden calf to worship. When Moses returned and saw their worship of idols, he was so angered, what did he do? He shattered the tablets that had the Ten Commandments on them. Think about the irony of this. Think about the irony of what these people were doing. He's telling them, wait here, I'm going up to get a word from the Lord. And while he's up getting a word from the Lord, they're taking gold, melting it down, forming it into a a calf that they could worship. Instead of trusting their creator, they they decided to make a God of their own creation. And they're doing it at the same time God is giving Moses the first commandment. Remember the first commandment, Exodus 20, You must not have any other God but me. Listen, friends, God hates idolatry. That has not changed. He hated it in their lives, and he hates it in your life and in my life. God hates idolatry. He is unwilling to share the praise he deserves with another. In Isaiah chapter 42, it says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another. I will not let idols take the praise that should be mine. So whatever it is in your life that has become more important to you than God is an idol. And he's saying, I will not, I will not let idols take the praise that should be mine. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul tells us that we're no longer our own, but we've been bought with a price. Which, what, what was the price? Christ's death on a cross. And now God expects our full and complete devotion. Not a partial, lukewarm commitment. God wants us to be all in when it comes to our relationship with him. You know, guys, listen, even as you move to the New Testament, these, when we talk about idolatry, not just the Old Testament, the New Testament is full of examples as well. Idolatry continues to be the theme all throughout Scripture. 
Paul writes in Colossians chapter three, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Idolatry is always an issue of the heart. I said that just a few minutes ago. It's always an issue of the heart. And God is most concerned with your heart. But Paul tells us that idolatry begins, it starts with greed, selfishness, self-centeredness, wanting more. Greed is this excessive desire for more, more wealth, more possessions. Listen, it's very common, hear me guys, it's very common to gravitate to other things to fill our longings or to fulfill our selfish gratification. I could give you hundreds of examples, but let me just give you a couple of them. I mean, literally, seriously, you could fill a book with the examples, and, and they're different for every one of us in this room. But let me just pull out two common ones today. Think about the cell phone, the smartphone. According to the study by Rescue Time, most people spend, listen, most people spend over three hours a day on their phones. Now think about that. You know, your waking hours, you're awake maybe 12 to, 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 to 14, 15 hours a day, and you're spending three hours a day on the phone. The top 20% of smartphone users actually spend more like four and a half hours a day on the phone. On the average, they found that people check their phone 58 times during the day, 58 times. There's little doubt that excessive cell phone use has become a problem in our society. I'll give you an example in my own personal life. It was like last Saturday night after this service, um, uh, Sandy and I always go out and grab a bite to eat. We, we did that, and then we went home, and I got home and I said, oh my gosh, I don't have my cell phone on me. And I kept thinking, I said, did you see me leave it in the restaurant? No. I said, maybe I just left it at my office. We're home for the evening. I said, I gotta go back to church and get it. Now, I was gonna be there the next morning very early, very early. I mean, what did I think I was gonna do between 8.30 at night and six o'clock the next morning? Not much to do on your phone, but the thought of not having it, I got back in the car, I came to church, it was on my desk, and I got my phone. It's like, I think we all have more of an addiction, it's become more of an idol in our life than we really give it much thought. At the end of 2019, the Pew Research Center reported that 81% of Americans owned a smartphone, 81%. And over the past five years, Google Trends indicate that searches for cell phone addiction has been drastically on the rise. People Google, people realizing, all of a sudden becoming, an aware, becoming aware that they're addicted to it. Of course, the dangers of using a cell phone while driving are wild, they're wildly known, right? I mean, we all know how serious it is. They've, they've passed laws that we're not supposed to be doing it, and yet people continue to ignore the risk and use their phone. It's almost like they can't help themselves. They know it's illegal. Even people, their personality is that they're not lawbreakers, but they're still using their phone while they drive. They can't help themselves. It used to be, now you don't have to think back very far. It, let's go back 15 years, maybe, or probably less than that. When you were driving down the road and you saw somebody swerving in and out of their lane, what did you think? Man, they're drunk. What do you say now to your spouse? I'll bet they're on their phone. 
That's the first thing that comes out of your mouth. We don't even think anybody's drinking anymore because they're not addicted to alcohol, they're addicted to their cell phone. Today, immediately we think that. There's little doubt that cell phone use has become an idol for a lot of people. Let me give you another example. This is always dangerous because I'm really hitting close to home with y'all. Another example would be sports. In fact, sports might just be the biggest idol in America today. It's hard for anyone to deny the love affair that Americans have with sports. I mean, through the pandemic, if anybody says, what were you most stressed about? There were no sports. Take the National Football League, for example. Since 1972, the NFL has dominated the playing field as a favorite spectator sport of Americans. In 2018, the NFL brought in roughly $16 billion in revenue from television deals to ticket sales to merchandising. A lot of money changes hands when it comes to the NFL. Now, please understand, you got to hear me on this or you're going to miss the point. Some of you have already shut me off. (laughs) Hear me. I'm not trying to criticize sports. I'm not trying to criticize football. I love the game. I'm just observing what's happening. I'm just trying to get you to see what's happening when we allow it to become a focus of our passion. You can love football and it not be an idol in your life. You can love sports and it not be an idol in our life. But that's why we have to be careful when we cross the line, when all of a sudden it takes more priority for us than God does. You know, for the last 10 years, Sandy and I have split season tickets uh, to the Colts with another couple. I really love going to the game. I look forward to that. I love the energy that's in the room when 60,000 people all gather together on their feet cheering their favorite team. Now, you may not even know, you may not even know the people sitting around you. You may not even want to talk to them, but boy, when they make a touchdown, you're high-fiving everybody. There's so much energy in the room and, and, and people that you'd never speak to, now you're hugging them and loving on them. Doesn't stop you, does it? Those fans, and all of those fans have paid a lot of money for those seats. And a lot of those fans have driven a long way. Every time there's a game, some of them are driving maybe two hours just to get to the stadium. One Sunday, Sandy and I were, we were late for a 1 p.m. kickoff. The pastor was long-winded that day. (laughs) It made me late. But our parking spot is about four blocks from the stadium. And I'm serious, it was one cold, rainy, windy day. It was extremely windy. You couldn't hold up an umbrella because it would just blow away. And so we basically, you know, we had our jackets on, we put our heads down, and we were walking into the wind trying to make it to the stadium. As we made our way towards the stadium, I couldn't believe, I'm thinking about all this, I'm like, this is nuts. This is crazy, and I couldn't believe I was willing to go all through this just to watch a game. You know, and, I, and so I turned to Sandy. We're walking very fast, trying to get there. They'd already had kickoff. And I said, I wonder how many Christians would go through these same type of conditions to get to church. <laughs> I'm just making a point. That's it. We live in a land where sports We live in a land, we live in a day where sports compete for our attention and our affections. It could be anything, not just just the NFL, it could be anything from golf to baseball to, to running to NASCAR. But again, I want you to understand that sports is not the problem. It's not. Sports is not the problem. It's only when we allow sports to consume our devotion. 
It's only when we cross that line to all of a sudden it's more important to us than Jesus. So I'm not saying that you have to take sports out of your life. I just got some of the guys back. I'm not saying you have to take sports out of your life or, you, or that you have to take money out of your life or that you have to take fame out of your life or that you have to take your cell phone out of your life. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying you can't get rid of an idol in your life until you first own it. You can't get rid of an idol in your life until you first acknowledge that it's a problem. To admit this area has become way too important for me. It's like, you know, it's, it's one thing that, to overuse a cell phone, but it's another thing to make it an idol, and it's become an idol for me, so I'm gonna deal with it. You could start by asking yourself a few questions, and those are in the book as well, but here they are. Where do I spend? Like, in other words, if you're saying, I wonder if this is an idol for me. Well, if you answer these questions all with the same thing, that thing is an idol. Where do I spend a lot of my money? I can tell you what's really important to you if you'll just let me look at your checkbook. Just, just give me your credit card statement and I can tell you what's really important for you because we spend our money on the things that matter to us. We spend our money on the things most important to us. Where do I spend a lot of my money? What's the first thing I think about when I wake up in the morning? Talking about cell phone again, some of you, the very second your feet hit the ground, what do you do? You grab your cell phone. And before you even get up out of bed, you're going through, you're scrolling through your cell phone. Number three, what would, I, what, what would I have a hard time letting go of for an entire month? If, if, I, if I said to you, okay, you can't have any sports for 30 days, none. Some of you would be in a fetal position. <laughs> if I said you can't use your phone for a month, some of you couldn't take it. I mean, we can go on and on with the examples. What do I like to talk about? If I asked your spouse, what do they mainly talk about? If I asked your friends, what, do, what, is, what does he mainly talk about? So, <laughs> case in point. <laughs> oh my gosh. That was timed perfectly, may I say. You did that just like I asked you to, thank you. If your, answer is the same, if your answer is the same to most of these questions, then it's likely that area has become an idol in your life. So consider taking these steps. Here's some steps you can do. Again, they're listed in the book, but these are things that you can do. Number one, work on your relationship with God. Obviously, that's the big problem. The big problem with idolatry is that God's no longer first in your life. These, whatever this is has become the first priority in your life. We were created by God to be in fellowship with him, to worship him. And within our soul, listen, within our soul is this God-sized hole or emptiness that was intended to be filled with the relationship with God. Do you understand that? We were created, guys, listen to me. We were created by God to be in relationship with him. And so therefore, we were created with a need to worship. So we will worship something. And if it's not God, we'll find something to fill that hole. We will worship something. On the other hand, we have this independent spirit or what we call the flesh that wants to go its own way and do its own thing. And rather than surrender our life to the Lord, we try to fill that emptiness with created things. That's what Paul said in Colossians. We try to fill that hole with created things, with things we think will satisfy us or give us significance. And it'll work for a little while, but it quickly wears off because that's not what it was intended to be filled with. 
It's those type of things that can become idols or bad habits in our life. And for a short while, as I said, they'll work. For a short while, it satisfies, but it leaves you empty because that's not what God intended, okay? Listen, God created us to worship something, and we will worship that which we value the most. We will worship that which we value the most. And, and when fortune or fame or family become what we value the most, we will worship them instead of God. So it's like you can look at these things and you can say, well, family is important. It's supposed to be important. Yes, it is, but not more important than God. Building, building a nest egg is important. Yes, it is, but not more important than God. Education is important. Yes, it is, but not more important than God. It's just bringing clarity to what your priorities are supposed to be. Now guys, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of these things. I hope by now you're getting that message. Unless those things have become more important to us than God and then it becomes an idol. So Steve, are you telling me that I'm supposed to get rid of my money or my fame or my family? No, absolutely not. The solution is to do what? The solution is to grow your love for God. If you say, okay, so this, this uh, establishing a, a fortune is more important to me than God. What do I need to do? Well, change your focus and start loving God more than you do your fortune. It's just start centering or focus in on God. Fall more in love with him. To put God back on the throne of your life. The more in love you are with God, the more it shoves everything else to the side. And it fills that God-sized vacuum with his presence. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, I've quoted this the last couple of weeks, actually. Paul says, I want to know Christ. He's like, more than anything else in my life, I just want to know him. I want to I love him. I, I want my love to grow in him. To know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Step number two, set boundaries. Set boundaries. When I married Sandy, when I married my wife, I entered into a covenant relationship with her. I made a commitment before God. I made a commitment before my family and before my friends, but most importantly, I made a commitment before my mother-in-law <laughs> to, to be faithful to my wife and to love and to cherish her till death do us part. That was the covenant I made. That was the pledge that I made before everybody. I made a promise that there would be no other women in my life except for her. And therefore, I established boundaries throughout our married life. I've established boundaries so that I would remain faithful to her. But what if, what if I were to uh, ignore those boundaries and I would decide to have an affair with someone else? Well, of course, as you can imagine, it would absolutely break her heart because I broke my covenant. I broke my vow, my commitment to her. Oh, I could argue, I mean, I could make a point and argue that, the, that, the, that I really, that woman didn't really mean anything to me. You know, it, it, it was purely sexual. It didn't mean anything to me. But I would be missing the point, wouldn't I? Sandy would remind me that I promised there would never be any other woman in my life. I made a covenant before God there would never be any other woman in my life. And even if she were to forgive me, it would take a lot of work to rebuild a healthy relationship, to rebuild a healthy marriage. I would have to reestablish, I would have to convince her that I have reestablished some boundaries. Well guys, idolatry is just like adultery. 
When I invited Jesus Christ into my life, I entered into a covenant relationship with him. And I promised to be faithful to him and that there would be no other gods in my life. That was my covenant. I surrender my all to you. And so therefore, I've established boundaries and promised to be all in when it comes to my commitment to Christ. But if I were to allow an idol in my life, it would break the heart of God because I broke my covenant, I broke my commitment to be faithful to him. And if I were to argue that this idol was not really all that important to me, well, I would again be missing the point because I promised there would be no other gods in my life. And of course, God is a forgiving God and and if I want a healthy relationship with him then I need to make him a priority in my life, I need to reestablish some spiritual disciplines or good habits like spending more time with God in prayer, spending more time in the word of God, spending more time in worship and thanksgiving to make sure that my heart is always focused on him. Reestablishing boundaries is a declaration of my love and commitment to God. So as a believer, as a Christian, I'm demonstrating to God when I establish these boundaries to make sure that I stay focused on him. I am, it was an, it's an outward demonstration of my commitment to him, of my love to God. It's it's a practical way of saying, God, I love you. With all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, I have established these guardrails in my life so that I'll keep my focus on you so that you are always the most important thing to me. Step three, prioritize confession and accountability. In other words, you'll find this one pretty much in every one of these bad habits, but find somebody a pastor, a counselor, someone that you can trust and ask that person if he or she will be willing to hold you accountable, to be the person that's not afraid to ask you the tough questions, the the hard questions. In James chapter five, it says, therefore confess your sins to each other. Find somebody, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Find that person that'll be be that partner for you, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it is effective. Once you know who that person is, then tell them, describe to them what the idol is for you. Just say, I'm just gonna be honest and just tell you that this, is, this thing has become way too important to me. It didn't start out that way, but it, it really is. I, I think about it every day. You know, When I wake up, when I go to bed, I find myself thinking, it's become way too important. Help me with this. I wanna break this bad habit in my life. Accountability is the best way to make sure you break this habit in your life. Step number four, make hard choices. In step number two, now think with me for just a minute. In step number two, I said the solution is not always to remove the object of our um, idolatry. You remember that? So in other words, um, if, a cell, if a cell phone is uh, an idol in your life, you don't necessarily have to get rid of the cell phone to break this bad habit. You just have to move God up in line of priority. And God just needs to be the most important thing to you. So it's just growing your love for God. And yet, I also believe there are times, listen to me, I believe there are times that's just not enough. In other words, no matter how hard you try to shift your devotion to the Lord, you still can't, you still can't seem to stop the worship of whatever this habit is. You, you, you just can't seem to let it go. You try, you're trying to put God first in your life, but you just keep coming back to this. Do you remember in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus told the men, 
uh, he told the man to, to gouge out his eye to destroy the idol of lust. He was talking about the idol of lust. He said, you need to gouge out your eye. Matthew chapter five, verse 29. This is Jesus. He said, so if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now that's called, that's called, uh, some people say that's called crazy. But that's, that's called hyperbole which just means what? It's, it's an overstatement. It's an over-exaggeration to make a point. He doesn't literally mean for you to gouge out your eye, but he does want you to recognize what a serious problem that idolatry can be in your life. So do you need to make some hard choices is really the point that I'm making here. Do you need to make some hard choices? Have your friends pulled you away from God? Now think about this, because our friends can be idolatry. Your, your friends can be more important to you than God. And, and, and you keep trying to get back to God, but your friends just keep tugging on you and pulling you away from God. Well, then you, you may need some new friends. Has social media become an idol in your life? Well, if you can't put God first, you may need to close your account. Has lust become an idol in your life? Well, if you can't deal with it, then you may need to put a filter on your internet. Has accumulation of wealth become an idol in your life? You can't deal with it, then maybe you need to downsize. Guys, I don't know what hard decision it is that you need to make, but if this area of your life has become an idol and you can't replace it with your love and devotion to God, then you need to make a hard choice. Jesus gave the example of trying to worship both God and money. You remember this in Matthew 6, verse 24? He says, no one can serve two masters. I, I don't care who you are and how talented you think you are. Jesus made that clear. You can't serve, there can't be two masters in your life. He says, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Friends, stop making excuses and be honest with yourself. Name the idol, call it out, and repent of it. And then ask God for help. And then just say, you know what, God, this has gone, I've tried to deal with it and I can't seem to do it. Please forgive me that I've made this such a priority in my life. Forgive me that it's more important to me than you have been. I need your help. I need your strength. I need to deal with this once and for all. I'm gonna ask you if you would to bow your heads with me with every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. Guys, be, be honest. I'm asking you to be self-aware and to be honest with yourself. Is there an area of your life that if you were to ask other people, they would even tell you it's true? Is there an area that's become more important to you than God? Then is there an area in your life that maybe has just consumed you? You talk about it all the time. You have a hard time, you would, you would find it impossible to let it go for a month? Well friends, that area might just be an idol in your life. And you need to make up your mind today that you're gonna draw a line in the sand and say, I'm breaking this bad habit once and for all. Because it's keeping me from God's best. Remember, it always starts. The breaking of any bad habit always starts with owning it or acknowledging it.